0: Hello and welcome to Philosophize. Today we're going to be talking about Back to the Future Part 2 and also the other two films, to be honest, all of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and spoilers alert. So if that's a problem, check out the film first, check out the trilogy first, and then come back to us. Hello, Matt. How are you doing, mate? I'm okay. How are you, Dave? I'm super duper. Okay. Back to the Future 2. Back part to two. the Future part 2. Back to the Future 2. Why did you choose this film? Because
0: I wanted to do a film that was both
1: fun and clever. Okay. You're telling me Back to the Future 1 is not fun or is not clever or.
0: Oh, it is. It is. But then I thought this is the, the most. Um, Funnest and cleverest. Well, it's not the funnest. The funnest one is the third one. However, yeah. I would say it is the most complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. The th- The third one's the most emotional as well. I can't make it throughout that movie without tears, to be brutally honest. Oh, uh, Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, no, the, th- the third ones one
1: is wonderful. Maybe we should do the third one. I won't let, no turning it's back now. too late back. Anyway, so... Fun and complex, the most complex of the three, Back to the Future. I think, uh, as we've both intimated there, we both love these films. We love all three of them. I mean, it's not even really three films, is it? It, it, uh, People call it a trilogy, but it's part one, part two, part three, and they bleed into each other so well. It's kind of Mm. one long, massive six-hour film, really, at the end of the day. And we're going for the middle segment.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Act two. Act two, come on, tell us what happens.
0: Uh, so obviously in the first one, um, Martin McFly ends up going back in time, causes havoc. Um, former younger version of the Doctor who invented the time machine helps him fix it and then sends him back to the future. Hence it being called back to the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone got that joke. Um, and then everything seems fine, but um, the doctor turns up Hit the, the time machine, which is that the Lorien can fly. He says there's something wrong with your family. Uh, that's the end of Back to the Future Part One, Part Two. They go forward in time, try and um, stop his son from getting into trouble because the uh, this is him going to prison leads to a chain reaction that completely destroys their family unit. Then, um, while they're there, um, the antagonist Biff manages to take the time machine and change the past in 1955 for his own game, which creates a new um, alternate, horrible, 1985. It is an 85, isn't it? It's 85, yeah. Yeah, so alternate 85, they're present. They go there, it's terrible. Um, So they have to go back to 1955 again, um, entering into scenes from the first film in order to restore it to the changed future um, in Back to um, the Future. Oh, one. Oh, Getting back to equilibrium.
1: That, 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 the, the scenes in um, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in the second film, where you've got different, you know, double Marty McFly, they're as complex yeah. as any art house European art film you'll ever see. I just, mm. I just, I, that blew me away as a kid when I watched it. It still blows me away now. Love it. Love it. Love where did it.
0: Love he, go? On, he just he came really in really here. I don't know but when he gets down we're gonna nail him how the
1: hell he changes clothes so fast uh, yeah, it,
0: it's...
1: okay back to the future too um so let's 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 discuss let's we, and this is going to be difficult right but let's see if we can slightly unpick some of these different timelines and I suppose the reason I think it's worth doing that is because, and this should be... You're fl- working on a wiki article. <laughs> 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 uh, that might be an idea. I suppose that the reason we should do this is just to confront the way Doc puts it. So in, in the second film, we get Doc explain to Marty when they get back to this, what they call the alternate 1985. Okay, mm-hmm. And he explains to uh, Marty what's gone wrong with a diagram on a chalkboard um mm-hmm. and without trying to describe that he basically sets up the um the kind of dichotomy that there is an, a real 1985 and an alternate 1985 and what they need to do is go back in time find out when it is they don't know when when it's been changed yet go back there and thus they can restore the uh, the real 1985, the original 1985. However, and this this means we're going to have to talk just for a second about the first film. However, that's not the original 1985 because what happens in the first film? They start in 1985. Marty gets catapulted back in time to 1955. Him arriving in 1955 changes that 1955. So we've already got 1955 A. All of the events that happen in that film, where his mother falls in love with him, and he has to get his mother to fall back in love with his with his father, yeah, which he does successfully, um, and then they go. He finally gets back to 1985. Yep, yeah, that isn't a restored 1985. That's a different 1985. His father is now an author, with his first book arrives. His mother is not on the gin so much, um, and his siblings seemingly have got things more together. It's a very 1980s movie feeling of... They've actually no... This is words they use. They're no longer losers. So we're already at the beginning of Back to the Future 2. We're already in 1985A. Yeah? Yeah. So they get carted off. They create another 2015 because they intervene there. Biff goes back to 1955 um, and then returns to 2015. So there's new 1955s generated, new 2015s developed. So by the fact, when they get back to uh, 1985, the dystopian 1985, let's call it, it's already at least 1985C. Yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of 1985 already. And then, of course, they've got to go back to 1955, creating a new one there. So on and so forth. So yeah, what we see in this film is a really, really complicated set of, let's call them um, parallel timelines being generated, proliferating. Yep. Yeah? So that's my view, right? Doc's solution between the real and the, and the alternate just doesn't work. What do you think? Well,
0: I think that... It would be interesting to talk about it from their perspectives. So um, the doc that we get at the end of Back to the Future Part 1 is at the very least Doctor Doc Brown A, because he's lived through the timeline where Marty's uh, family are a success. Although there is a moment in the first film where um, it's just before Marty gets into the time machine for the lightning strike moment, where uh, Marty says, oh, my dad stood up to Biff. He's never done that in his life. And the doc sort of, just sort of looks at the camera for a moment and, and thinks, "Oh," um, and there's a kind of a recognition that that might have changed the timeline. But the the doc that survives, the doc that's not killed by the um, by the Libyan assassins, sorry, the Libyan terrorists, hasn't lived through um, the original 1985. Um, so I think it's perfectly natural for him to call the 1985 they're trying to restore the real 1985 because it's the one that. Um, he experienced the one that he went through,
1: and the one that's real to him. So, what you seem to be appealing to here, and I, I now you say that I think that's absolutely valid, is a is a, is a relative space time consciousness continuum that that's activated through the film. Because for for as I say, for Marty, things will have changed, but for Doc, as you quite rightly said, they won't have. So, for one, it's 1985; the other, it's 1985A. Yeah. Beautiful. Yep, I buy that, absolutely. <laughs> You're late! You have no concept of time! Hey, come on! I had to change! You think I'm going back in that, that suit suit! Ah, the old man really came through, it worked! He laid out Biff in one punch! I didn't know he had it in him. He's never stood up to Biff in his life! Ever? No, why? What's the matter? Um, I suppose the other thing to talk about it is, is the difference between the two films. They both explore one of the standard kind of scientific time travel problems, so to speak. Um, and e- even though, we're, we're, I think we just need to address this briefly before we move on. But um, the first, so the first film is really the grandparent paradox. Yeah, if you, you know, which is yeah. stated if you were to go back in time and kill, I don't know why we have to with kill, you know, but this film's far nicer. It's got, even if a bit more Oedipal, uh, go back in time and, you know, disturb your grandparents. You might not be born. So explore. explores well, that. I
0: mean, in Oedipus, he kills the ancestors as well.
1: Oh yeah, there's death everywhere, isn't there? Good point. Yeah. Um, in the second film, it's more the bootstrap paradox, which is the other one. Yep, yeah, if you go into the future and discover... And pick up the novel that you 've written twenty years later and bring it back so you can give it to yourself to write again earlier, yeah who actually wrote that novel because you 're copying something yeah that doesn't actually exist for you in that time, so they 're both kind of exploring these paradoxes and find their own solutions to them yes um, but and this is this is my claim with time travel movies I mean that 's a very sign. Science- scientific kind of viewpoint and the way in which they can be solved is talking about the many worlds theorem so you're not actually going back in time change i think that's undone by this film um, in many ways particularly the enchantment under the sea where where you do get all of these these few, uh, these parts collide with each other but to me time travel in cinema is never about the possibility of time travel. Yeah, I mean it has to be just a given moment, right? Yeah. In order that you can explore time. What I would call, I mean, this is what this is why I love time travel stuff. You know, you know, I'm biggest Doctor Who lover there is. Almost, you can't I say things like that. Okay, all right. I'm a big Doctor <laughs> Who lover. You can't,
0: you, can't, you can't say that. Can you're I say
1: I'm a big Doctor Who lover? Fan, you're a fan. I don't use that word. I'm a big Doctor <laughs> Who lover, um, and the reason I reason I love I love Doctor Who is because it's about visceral encounters with time. And it seems to me that there are different kind of encounters. You know, in, in other words, when you tr- when you travel back to the past, right, and you travel to the future from a present moment, those two encounters with time are. Affectively, you know, co- qualitatively, different uh, encounters with 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 the nature of time. What I mean by that is, if you go back to the past, what you're exploring there is usually is history, memory, stuff that is, if you like, set in stone. That you might not know everything about it, so you're um, you're discovering it. You might problematize it, but that in a sense, those films are all about. You know, healing time in a way, yep, because something's gone wrong or you've got to put it right, and there's almost like a given moment that you're exploring. Whereas traveling into the future, yep, is more an encounter with the unknowable, with possibilities, with your greatest fears, so to speak, yep, or your greatest hopes even. Mm. So they're very different temporal journeys. Yeah, which to me has got nothing to do with the scientific notion of time travel and grandfather-grandfather-grandmother uh, uh, paradoxes, grandparent paradoxes, bootstrap paradoxes, all of this, that and the other. They're the mechanics, the material you're playing with. But for me, the real thing about time travel movies is their effective dimensions with encounters with the past and future. And indeed, in, uh, encounters with the present as well. So we get encounters in the second film with a different present, with an alternative present. And that in itself has got a different kind of feel because that's where everything's at stake in this film, isn't it? In Back to the Mm. Future 2. The the vital flow of life has somehow been redirected, moved. So Marty's father has died, yep, Um, Yep. much younger than he would have liked. Um, And his mother is now... Slightly enhanced, let us say And his stepdad Is Biff, his, his mortal Enemy, so to speak So, yeah. the, so the present across, look, all, across all time and space Yeah, you know, we go yeah. Sort of a, and yeah. It is
0: interesting that, that um, His father's high school bully Becomes his Sort of generation, multi-generational Spatial temporal Nemesis Hey McFly Yeah I've seen you around. You're Marty McFly's kid, aren't you? Beth? You're Marty Jr. Tough break, kid. Must be rough being named after a complete butthead. What's that supposed to mean? Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Think, McFly, think! Your old man, Mr. Loser. What? That's right. Loser with a capital L.
1: But yeah, so that's my view on the time travel. That it, you know, we can push aside. We'll we'll leave time travel as a as a as a problem and as paradoxes to the scientists. Yep, all very good. But from um, a philosophical and artistic point of view, more to speak, it would be around effective dimensions. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, I think that's really cool. I think that. This film's more conservative than that, so I think you're. You, I mean, I think you're right that, that you know there's, there's sort of a map of how time travel can work in cinema. I think, I think that's true, and I think you can read these films like that. But I think really, it's less about time travel; it's more about family and legacy and generations and and things like that. I mean, I can't think of off the top of my head a a time travel sci-fi story that. Sticks to the idea of family and travelling back into earlier versions of family as uh, as much as this does. So what what you've kind of got is different stages of the family. You've got um, so the McFly family, I and mean, you've got the three generations. You've got um George McFly's generation, Marty McFly, and then Marty's children. And what you have in Back to the Future Part One is George's failure to stand up to that bully, which sort of sends his entire family on. Uh, sort of a lesser destiny. Um, You've got um, Marty's failure to get control of his anger and his emotions, his ability to be provoked, so he ends up in a car crash. George McFly can't become a sci-fi writer. Marty McFly doesn't become a a famous rock star, and that leaves his family in a sort of a, a lesser destiny. And what happens through the film is those two patriarchs, uh, working together in order to restore or or bring bring the family to where it should have been. So Marty goes back in time and helps his father find confidence to stand up to his bully, which means he becomes the
1: sci-fi author. Yeah, but what's that should mean? What what does that should? There is no should until it happens. The oh no, fact- it
0: should from the, should from the um from the morality of the film. What the film the direction of film says should be the case. He should be successful as possible. You should live your dreams. You should um, stand up against corruption instead of being sort of mowed over by it. You know, that that I think is the
1: message of the two films. I mean, I mentioned earlier that it's a very 1985 movie in, in the fact of the return and they're more successful and they were called losers before. So I, I agree with that. But we should mention
0: that there was controversy with Crispin Glover
1: leaving the project
0: because of that. Um, what do you mean? Um, what do you mean
1: because of that?
0: Um, so part part of Chris, well, from from his account, part of the reasons Crispin Glover left the project was because he felt it was too capitalistic. A ah, right, okay, um, too too Reaganite a way of viewing what family success was. So
1: Crispin Glover, the guy who played um, uh, George Marty's father, yep. yeah. Uh, so he 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 leaves the project. Um, ah, I didn't know it was. The, so that's his reason he gave her. Huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who knows what actually went. Actually happened there. I mean, I don't uh, disagree with that. I think that's it's that's an absolute reading. However, I mean, there you know, the idea that you return to 1955, the golden a golden age of America, the rise of the teenager, mm-hmm. um, a time that of simpler pleasures, blah blah blah, all of this that and the other. I get that trope, uh, but the trouble is, every film, every every cultural critic that's ever been, whenever there's a film set in the 1950s, says that. So it's become a kind of a cliche, but I, I take it to a point. But the 1985 piece, um, I do agree with. I, I I think, I think, however, they begin to address that in the second film. I think they have address that really, really well. They explore that 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 moment uh, in the dystopian present, and I'll tell you. Do you want me to tell you why I think that? Go on. Well, Biff Tower, right? Biff Tower, living on the twenty seventh floor, the penthouse at the top. I mean, that's Trump Tower, isn't it? Trump Tower yeah, it was even opened. Looks in... like
0: Trump. It's weird. It's,
1: <laughs> al- it's, <laughs> al- it's, almost, it's almost like Trump.
0: I mean, he was already an adult, obviously, when this film came out. But it's almost like he saw this film and was like, "Yeah."
1: I, I, all, all the filmmakers are, re- are reflecting on that. I think. I, I think it is Trump Tower. It, w- Trump Tower opened in nineteen eighty three. yeah? the first okay. film was made in eighty five um this film is made in 1989 yeah trump is a big presence
0: right okay i don't know anything about how trump was as a cultural figure
1: well i mean think think of the, the we've just had him uh you know people trying to uh think about having him removed from um one of the home alone films haven't they where he runs into it where he insisted he coming so he's he's well known in the media at this point he's 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 indeed even uh Cajoling to get little bits in into uh, films and and cameos and stuff like that yeah so I, I think the second film in a sense, is reflecting upon that capitalist moment because what is Biff but an uber capitalist? I mean what does he say at one point when he's going to shoot Marty? I own the police, so yeah. uh, you know i mean look i, I this is not i Nos- I'm not saying that back to the future is a Nostradamus kind of film. <laughs> I'm talking about how it's reflecting upon 1985 or the, the 1980s itself. And it's aware, I think, of 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 that problem of the first film, of the of the conservative capitalist successful drive. I think it's aware of that and reflects upon it in the second film.
0: In a sense, but what Biff is, is a capitalist untempered by family values. And the film even establishes that. I mean, why hasn't he got family vows? Because he's um he seems to have grown up in a broken home. You know, for whatever reason he's being uh, brought up by his grandmother who is just this shouting voice that you never see that he's he's arguing with. He's not had um, the nuclear family, and as such he's his you know, so if you if you sort of look at the look at Back to the Future part two as the battle between Biff's dominance and the McFly's dominance of the timeline—you um, know, one of them just um, so George McFly's uh, dominance leads to him presumably just looking after his family, doing what he wants, living the American dream. Whereas Biff's has to involve the destruction of the McFly family because he wants to be with the mother. You know, so it's it's the it's not the capitalism that's the problem with Biff. It's not. It's not his riches, although there is a kind of don't do this for personal gain thing going on. It's the lack of respect for the marriage that's supposed to take place between George and... Lorraine. Yeah, between George and Lorraine. I think
1: that plays into it as well. I mean, neither of us are going to say that any one film is about any one thing. Mm. Uh, I take your point with the... Um, with. The, I like the idea of the, the, the Tannen and McFly dynasties and how they're intertwined. It does become a bit of a zero-sum game, doesn't it? Because in the first film, when we meet Biff, he's um, if you like, uh, the first time we meet him, he's he's George's boss. In the, yeah. st- the second time we meet him at the end of the film, now he's um, cleaning cars. And the the idea is that when one triumphs, the other must lose. There's no lifting up together. There is one triumphs, one loses. Is that critical of the whole capitalistic system in a sense as well, though? Yeah, rather because because if it was if it was trumping capitalism, yeah, the Mm. idea would be we can all lift each other up. It would be a ringing endorsement of those where the film actually seems to 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 unpick. You know, it's not this isn't a modernist art film. I'm picking something from uh, from a hard left, but it sees the problems that, that are inherent into this, even if it doesn't appear to be critical about those things, it explores those problems.
0: Hmm. I mean, I would say it's, it's, it certainly explores them, but I think it is also interesting looking at the, some of the conservative aspects of it. That's a small c.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think they're, they're absolutely prevalent. I mean, the, the other one you mentioned is about the family. Uh, And I think that's... You're right. That's what I was kind of of pointing to when I was talking about the different effects and going back in time. It's looking at their, you know, um, at the history, at the memory of the family and exploring that. He's a peeping Tom. I believe that the the, the film was originally inspired by the writer, Gail, um, thinking about uh, coming across an old school um, yearbook. Well, we don't have that in the UK, this sort of stuff in the UK. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. Um, uh, where his father was and finding out he was um, head boy. I don't know what they call it in America either. Uh, prefect, whatever. <laughs> um, and saying, oh, I don't think I'd have got on with my father. And the idea was <laughs> the idea was to travel back in time and see, and see what that, because the first film was conceived on its own and mm. it, then the success led to exploring other things. So I think, you know, there's a kind of the, the point you've raised about the family is absolutely central and key. And I think um, we should, we should sort of like get into discussing that, but first, but in a sense, what I want to do before we discuss the family is talk about the technology and how, how they do this. Uh, so from a filmic perspective, because this, it's absolutely phenomenal, right? So in 20, um in in Back to the Future Two, mm-hmm. in 2015, when um, through the machinations of the plot, yep, yeah, Marty, uh, our main character's generation, get meets and, and encounters the later generation. We get a proliferation of characters. So Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly, um, and in 2015 he's thus playing Marty McFly, but he's also playing himself, several years older. Who now known as Marty McFly Sr. He's also playing his his son, Marty McFly Jr. He's also playing um, um, his daughter, daughter, Marlene. We've got uh, Jennifer playing herself and uh, also playing her middle-aged self. We've got old George, old Lorraine, old Biff and Biff's grandson, Griff. I mean, they're all of these characters. They're playing multiple characters and lots of them are in the same scene together. Now, this is this has happened in cinema on tv for quite a long time and usually the way to do it is uh one of two ways you've got to have a really steady camera that you don't move and you perform the actions twice um mm-hmm. and you can edit it together or you can have two cameras pointing in two di- different directions and mix them live and bring the two things together so both optical com- compositing yeah what's really done beautifully here and um, is the way in which the camera moves and can move in a, in a way that you would use it filmically and the multiple characters can move within it. And this was uh, due to the creation of the Vista Slide technology, which came out of um, ILM, that's Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's um, yeah. s- uh, special effects unit that was set up, I think, in 1975. I think it was set up in 1975 as a division of Lucasfilm in order to get on top of and develop the technology for doing Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of which was was non-digital in that sense. But they were bringing digital in at that point. And, and just the way in which the camera moves around those scenes. I mean... Even the uh, one of the bits is it's it's quite small, but it's when um in nineteen fifty-five, when young Biff meets old Biff himself, yep, um, and one's in the car and one's not, the camera just glides in slowly. The camera's moving, and you there is no sense that these are two different, that these are two different mm. shots and two different. Perhaps my favorite one is when the two docks meet, yep, and they both yeah, You know, well, uh, our, our doc has got his back to the other doc. Oh, cripes, I don't know. what. Um, and <laughs> they hand over an item. It's, it's done cleverly using um, the lamppost as a way of uh, shielding and passing something across. Who knows how it's done? But it's just beautifully yeah. done, those moments. And then, of course, the piece de resistance of the vista slide motion capture is the dining table. When the McFly family are all sitting down to lunch and we've got Marty, oh, I've forgotten the name of the actor, Michael J. Fox, playing yeah. f- playing three characters sat at that table. It's just awesome, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I didn't actually realize it was uh, Michael J. Fox playing his daughter until um, last night when I was watching it with my
1: housemate and he pointed it out. Kudos. Um, kudos to Michael J. Fox and the makeup department, then. I think mainly the makeup department.
0: <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, Mom, you sure can't hydrate a pizza. No,
1: I'm
0: sorry, I missed okay. that whole thing.
1: Al, I'm just worried about Jennifer. Why isn't she home yet?
0: I'm not sure where Jennifer is, Mom. should had been home some hours fruit. ago, i have a hard time keeping track hey, fruit. These fruit, these of these fruit, please, thank
1: you. Aren't you and Jennifer getting along?
0: Oh, yeah, great, Mom. We're like a couple of teenagers, you know? <laughs> Dad,
1: telephone, it's needles. Dad, is for you. See, to me, this aspect of the film is the most enjoyable. These characters in altered states. And I think this is where, if you like, the, the affirmation of the films comes back in. I mean, what you've got is a fracturing of subjectivity. Yep across time, across space, the different times, the different spaces, yep, they resonate. You've got alternative um, universes overwriting each other in the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. You've got kind of an intensive moment where the characters are kind of choreographed and dancing around each other. So you've got these temporal and spatial kind of problems generating no closure. There's no closure in this film at any point. Yep. Yeah? I mean, I think that the notion of closure within cinema is, 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 is highly overused. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly this film, if you consider, like we talked about with back to the future one, yep, yeah, The 1985, they returned to is not the same as the one they left from. I mean, that's no yeah. closure. They haven't returned. They haven't restored anything. Even if, even if it is uh, the same timeline from doc's point of view from at least one point of view and from the spectator's point of view things have changed yep and it seems to me these these ideas of this this kind of fractured eye and these selves that 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 dissolve um as we see in the photograph or in the first film but Of course, when new eyes come back and new people are generated in alternative spaces, those old selves have dissolved back in the past. Yep, And the idea that um, it also collapses the idea of the other. Um, So if we just think about the way in which Marty, our Marty meets or, you know, or we encounter at the filmic level anyway, um, Marty become Marty Senior. Yep, You know, we're yep. othering the characters from the, from ourselves. It's, mm. it's, it's that old, uh, I think it's, it's Visconti, the, the Italian director said, you know, we are simul- a very Bergsonian kind of notion of time of duration of our subjectivity. It's not that we are these different compartmentalized people throughout our lives, but we are simultaneously a child. We are simultaneously a teenager. We're simultaneously uh, middle-aged. We're simultaneously old. These are kind of like layers and sheets that build up. We fracture and then we overlay. And I think the film is very, very good at exploring the disjunctive nature, the crisis of time and space, but pulling it back to the subject, to the person. And, you know, just to conclude... I'd say it it holds the banner, we are multiple, high above its head, this whole series. Hmm. I presume you're conducting some sort of weather experiment. That's right. How did you know that? Oh, I happen to have had a little experience in this area. Yes. Well, I'm hoping to see some lightning tonight, although the weatherman says there's not going to be any rain. Well, gonna be plenty of rain, all right. Winds, thunder, lightning. It's going to be one
0: hell of a storm.
1: Well, thanks. Nice talking to you. Maybe we'll bump into each other sometime again in the future. Or in the past.
0: Looking at it as three films about family helps make some sense of it so the first film i mean we usually look at it from marty's perspective so he accidentally goes back in time and then accidentally makes his life better but if we look at it from george's perspective what's happened is his son the next generation has come to the present from the future and helped him become a stronger person sort of like the force of his family sort of teams up and crushes his enemy and allows him to self-actualize in a way that he wasn't able to on his own, that he wasn't able to get that support. And it comes out of the strength of his family, the the two generations working together. And so the first film creates the McFly dynasty, as it could have been if George had had support uh, from the the morality of the film, from another masculine influence who wasn't toxic. Now, the second film is consolidating that dynasty. So the threat, Biff, challenges it, goes back to that battlefield of uh, 1955, which the doc talks about. Could it be a coincidence or is it some sort of temporal nexus?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's fate. Is it fate? I mean, it, it plays with that. That's really good, yes.
0: Yeah, so it goes back and then he teams up with his self from a more selfish or self-aimed position. He clearly doesn't get on with his grandson. And so he goes back in time and treats his own self like a grandson. And then what you get is two Biffs working together using their force of their, their sort of life force. And then they create their own dynasty which crushes the McFly one. And then Marty has to undo that and defend the you know the new dynasty that he created. Except in this one he is on his own. The, the doc sort of has got him there, but the doc's not really offering that much support. Is He can't interact with his father this time. So really, the, the second one is the one where Marty is most alone, and has to resolve it in his own way. And then at the end of that film, the McFly dynasty is almost secured, apart from the outstanding issue about, does Marty break his hand and then stop becoming a, a well, presumably a rock star, Yeah, um, in order to get out of the rut that trying to, you know, getting his son out of prison, really, I mean, the doc talks about how he's traced down what happened to his dynasty, you know, the full like, family. Like he's gone all the way back. And he's figured out, so I mean, it's, it's clear that um, the doc's been to more than just 19, oh, sorry, 2015. He's gone much further into the future because he's really concerned about Marty's children and um, the family and how that develops. He says no, this is the crisis point. But really, arguably, the crisis point which uh, the doc doesn't realize is the point which is only seen in the third film which is when needles played yes. by Flea from um Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah um he's also in the second film as as someone who um encourages uh, Marty by calling him yellow and uh, uh chicken kind of coward. oh yeah chicken yeah chicken that's it, chicken yeah <laughs> um brilliant you know, brilliant. so it's it's sort of this hot-headedness that Marty yeah. has now he needs to grow out of that because he's going to that's going to be his mistake yes yeah whereas George McFly's mistake if you can call it that, is failing to stand up to Biff, Uh, Martin McFly's mistake is standing up too much. So it's sort of like the hot-headedness that he brings and helps his father with, elevates him, elevates him, whereas um, Marty needs to calm down and it's his experience in the Wild West that does that. But really, that's like an ancillary point in the third film. The third film is about giving the Doc a family because the Doc doesn't have one. All the time machine does in the way that they're using it is about family. You know, in the first two films it it's used in order to support and defend the McFly family. And in the third one it's used to create the Doc Brown dynasty with uh, Jules and Vern and Clara who gets saved from falling into a ravine by the intervention of the time machine.
1: Absolutely, I I I think that's spot on. And and the point about Doc's family it, it, there, there's a whole theme. I mean, you get this quite a lot throughout the second film. We need to destroy. We need to destroy the time machine because it caused yeah. too many temporal problems. In the third film, you know, the the doc discovers his heart, and he and yeah, and they and he says he says that sentence again, but in a very different way. He goes, "Traveling through time is too painful." This is when he thinks he has to give up Clara mm. and all of this. So again, that pushes us back away from the time travel as a scientific problem, back towards the effective dimensions to, to it. And as, you, as you've most eloquently gone over there, I think it's about the family unit and about family legacies and about um, the, the past of families and the future of families. Beautiful.
0: And then there's that closing point that seems to contradict the entire trilogy where Jennifer gives the doc the blank page that was the You're Fired facts. He doesn't need to know. He doesn't know anything about Marty getting fired. He's just going, yeah. Of course it hasn't. Of course it's changed. He, he knows that she's brought something from the future, and that's been altered by interventions. And by this point, you know, presumably, I mean, okay, he's been he's been gone, or he's experienced at least as much time to raise those children to that age. I'm, I don't. I'm not good at children, but what, are they like five or something.
1: Oh, I'd go. I'd go uh, seven and four, something like that.
0: Okay, so he's say, you know, best part of a decade. He's been away. He's come back. And he's like, actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter. Your future is just created in the present anyway. And it's a total rejection of um, the efforts to try and fix things throughout the the other films. And you've got to fix things that are bad for you and your family. But that doesn't mean you're in any way securing a future because there's always things that can happen, always things that can go wrong. The
1: unknowable.
0: The unknowable, and but it's also the... The certainty that you can't make anything certain. <laughs> yeah, It's total contingency of everything. I think I'd say contingent rather than unknowable. And at this point, Doctor seems to be affirming Everything's contingent. So it sort of puts the films in a new light that it's not that we can use the, the time machine to fix all of our problems. It creates them as well. But if you're confronted with a problem, you've got to try and fix it, especially if it's a problem of something happening to your family.
1: Mr. Brown, I brought this note back from the future and now it's a race. Of course it's a race. But what does that mean? It means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Both of you. We will,
0: Doc. So, Dave, is there anything else you
1: wanted to talk about? I suppose I I want to talk about the low stakes of the series, but also of this film. We sometimes get in science fiction about the apocalypse and the end of the universe and all of this, and I, I think the second film plays with that really, really well in a couple of places. There's a bit when Jennifer has been brought from 1985 into 2015 and gets returned to the family home, and... She's in danger of meeting herself at an older age. And the doc says, well, one of two things could happen. She could faint or there could be a massive cataclysm. (laughs) So as we see on screen, when um, the two Jennifers do meet, they beautifully faint. Doc repeats this again um, when Marty's just about to go to the enchantment under the sea. You know, if you two meet, you could destroy the universe. Marty repeats it at one point. But we kind of know that the doc is kind of like, got that wrong because of the earlier scene. And to me, it's the low stakes. I mean, we've talked about this film being about families and the memories of families and the future of families and the family history. And I think that's what it does. In a sense, it's a very local disruption. There's lowish stakes throughout the whole film. And I think that's that's why it works so well and that's why it's so beautiful because it's not the whole universe under threat despite the doc fearing the worst.
0: No, I really like that too.
1: What about you, Matt? Anything uh, anything you would like to say to finish off with? So I only realised this um, last night when I
0: watched it, but I think Jennifer's having an affair. What? In 2015. So there's just this line where um, Lorraine says to... Marty, um, where's, where's Jennifer? And he says, oh, don't know where she is. It's hard to keep track of her these days. And, you know, she's later than she's sort of expected to be there. I, I think she's having an affair. And I say, good for her, because she's treated terribly in this film. You know, she's brought into this car. She's knocked out immediately and left on a, a pile of trash.
1: Yeah, that's not nice. Gets picked
0: up by the cops. And then, you know, it's really odd because they've brought her along, but they, they treat her as a problem until they finally get rid of her and drop her off at home. And then she wakes up, obviously, in the third film. And, you know, all of these things have happened to her. And I just think, you know, in, in, at least in that timeline, good for her. Because, you know, um, she's worth better than Marty.
1: Yeah, well, so I, I, so I, don't, I don't know what senior Marty's going to be like, but I don't think it's going to bode well for the family, no matter what they do. He's a bit <laughs> of a jerk. He is a bit of a jerk. <laughs> yeah.